sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome back. This is Hour 2 of Fantasy Sports today right here on SportsGrid. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia with you here on the show. Of course, we're doing heavy coverage on Major League Baseball's return to practices. Of course, this weekend in particular, it was great to have baseball back, but somewhat being overshadowed with all the players who are opting out and unfortunately who have tested positive for COVID. We knew it was going to happen, but certainly when it starts to happen in front of our face, it's another scenario. If you want, just simply go back on demand and go to our website, sportsgrid.com. Joe and I on our YouTube channel broke every player down, including uh, very in-depth player uh, breakdowns with several of the players who look like they are in somewhat jeopardy for the beginning of the season. We wish them the best of health, but from our purposes, wagering fantasy, we want to make sure we give you all that information, and we did in the first hour of the show. So just head on back there, and you can catch that. To start off hour two, we head on over to the FanDuel Sportsbook and Joe, a very uh, interesting post that they made on social media over the weekend and just basically discussing uh, the NFL a little bit and the teams that were best and worst in the past decade. And uh, interestingly enough, some of the teams that were the worst in the past decade, you know, one of them probably going to end up having a new name in the Washington Redskins. I don't know how much longer we'll be saying that for. It seems like that is coming. Uh, but I, I think from a fan's perspective, when you look at it overall and see the best and worst, it's one of those things where nothing, it doesn't really come as a surprise to you because you know who's won the Super Bowls and you know who's played particularly well. And, um, you know, and you also, you know, when you're a Browns fan, what you're going to get. <laughs> well, speaking of the Browns, too, I, I just saw one of those terrible stat nuggets, you know, those little things you see flying around sometimes. And it was Ben Roethlisberger has more wins in Cleveland than any other Browns quarterback over the mm. last decade. Wow, that hurts. So that that is that's that's rough. Like that is rough. Like that's kind of like rubbing it in. I feel like, and I saw that stat and I just felt terrible. Uh, but uh, look, when you look at the rest of these two, you're right. Like sometimes they're no brainers, but some of them were kind of not shocking, but a little surprising. Like I thought if you had asked me, I would have thought the Ravens had more wins than the Steelers over the last decade. You know, I feel like I always feel like the Ravens are always that top team, especially last year, too, after that down year with the Steelers. I knew they would have been neck and neck, but I would have put my money on the Ravens, actually, the Steelers with 102 victories over 98. Uh, you mentioned the rest of this decade has been really difficult for the Bengals and the Browns, but yet the Bengals made a bunch of playoff runs, like not runs, but appearances, I should say. They lost in a lot of them. So that was a little surprising to me, too. Obviously, in the rest of the AFC, no doubt about the Patriots. We all knew that. But sit back and admire 125 wins. That's averaging 12 and a half wins over 10 years. Can we just pause for a moment and realize how difficult that is in the salary cap era? Brady aside, all these things, the salary cap is an incredibly difficult thing to work around. And the Patriots have made it a practice over the last 20 years, Craig, of being the team that pays you for what you're going to do, not what you did. And if there is uh, any better result you could ask for of why you should do that, I think that's it, right? I mean, isn't that the fatal flaw in so many organizations that they pay players for what they you know, were as opposed to what they're going to be? And as hard as it is to lose those stars or those beloved figures in your organization – the Pats have done that and made that a practice. And look, 125 wins in the last 10 years, I think that kind of shows it, right? Yeah, and, and it's not surprising at all. You know, you look at the last decade of teams and the way mm -hmm. that FanDuel basically illustrated it. Um, and you say, you know, what number surprised you the most or what team did you sort of, you know, forget about it? Uh, forget about, excuse me. Um, honestly, there's a couple that came to mind. And now, now it does make sense that Tampa Bay is sort of all in. I did not realize how bad the Buccaneers have been in the last decade at all. I, you know, there's, there's yeah. just something about it that I thought, yeah, they, you know, they're like, if you ask me, like, what winning percentage did the Buccaneers have in the last decade? I'd say they probably were not 500, but maybe a little bit below. And they were basically, you know, like the third worst team in the NFL in the last 10 years. So it does make sense. That from an ownership perspective, they said, you know, enough of this losing. We owe the fans something. We got right. you know, we got a lot of fans that go to Raymond James Stadium. Is this? A it is a good fan base. You're right. Like I know a lot of Bucks fans. Like, like just, ah, I used to go to all yeah, of them. They, like, they, they do a, a really base. good job. But They're enough passionate. is enough. You know, like yeah. they they had to give their fans something. And 
And and I think, you know, the Jaguars, you see them all the way at the bottom two with 51 wins. I don't think that they're far away from that, too. In a couple of years, they're going to have to go that route. And you do have to energize a fan base at some point. The Bears did it a few years ago with all the changes that they made and uh, trading for Khalil Mack. Like, it, it all makes sense. Like, like Every once in a while, you get this cycle where if you're bad for three or four years, you got to switch it up. you got to change it up. you got to sell right. tickets. Yeah, and it, it, that was the biggest surprise to me looking at it because I just didn't realize that the Bucks were 40 games under 500 in a decade. Like I thought, like ah, they're probably like, you know, 10 games under something like that. But man, they're just horrific. I and realize. I wouldn't have thought the Jaguars were that bad because I remember the Jaguars run there for a couple years with Marone, where they were a playoff contender team. You know, they went they went to the AFC Championship game only a few years right. ago. So that was a little surprising too. But yeah, it's the Bucks, the Jags, and the Browns. At the bottom of the pack there, which is uh, unfortunate, obviously. Uh, the Raiders are not too far behind either. Um, but you know what the thing is? You look at this and you say, okay, the teams that are above, it's the teams that have Brady. The teams that have Roethlisberger. You know, the teams that have a continuity at quarterback yeah. at the very least. And the teams that have not. And if you don't get that quarterback position correct, it just continues to set you back a decade at a time. I mean, it literally, you get that quarterback choice wrong when you have a top draft pick. It does set you back a decade, and we have the proof here with this, with these records, and that is something that I always like perspective. I feel like perspective is that one thing we can never have enough of. It's what educates us as sports fans and as human beings as well. And, you know, if you don't pay attention to history, you are doomed to repeat it, and this is that one thing where we are here, and you look at these numbers, and you look at what's going on here, and you go, wow, you know, it's it's really difficult. You blow that quarterback pick or that free agent signing a quarterback, and you don't recover from it. It's one of those things. Now, that in mind, if we're looking forward and projecting for the next 10 years, I'm curious. Like, do you think the Cardinals are a team that are going to change this around? They were 75 and 83 over the span, below 500 over the decade. Now you bring in a guy like Kyler Murray. Do you think that this is something where maybe the next day you reverse over the next decade those numbers? And maybe they're 83 and 75 or something like that, or possibly even better. Is that an organization are the Browns an organization that are going to be, say, above 500 this next decade? Like, how do you see some of these maybe. potential young quarterbacks working out? Yeah, maybe. But I, I think the better organizations you'll still see at the top or near it. I, I think there'll be cycles where, you know, Cincinnati in seven years will be good again. But it's like in the next 10 years, I know the Ravens are going to be up there again. I know the Steelers <laughs> are going to be up there again. It's like they're just they're just well-run uh, organizations. I would guess that with or without Rodgers, the Packers would probably be 500 or better. They're a really well-run organization. The Eagles, the same thing. So, you know, I, I think that every team will have its three or four years, uh, but I, I think that there are exceptions to the rule with that. As an example, when we were growing up in the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s, mm -hmm. if I would have told you that the last decade, both the Dolphins and the Raiders would have been horrible, you would have said no way possible. But right. those are those are two iconic all-time winning franchises that have just struggled to get it right for a long time. Raiders had a couple of years there where they were competitive again, but Miami and Oakland, those were two teams. And by the way, two teams that hated each other and played each other every year and played some unbelievable games. Yeah. But right now they're, uh, they're really up against it, but. Well, they have a chance to do Tua. Like there's, there's your opportunity, right? If they're right about Tua. Maybe. maybe. I mean, the Browns the whole thought they were right five times already, but maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, but, but I do see else. one team here that okay. has had the same quarterback for 10 years, the whole 10 years that is supposedly very good, and the team was below 500. Mm, below 500 team with a good quarterback for a long time. For, a long, for the whole 10 years. Is this the Chargers you're going to point that out? That is correct. <clears throat> there you go. There you go. Well, they haven't always been the best defensive team. Oh, I don't think you can hang it all on Philip Rivers. For Philip you Rivers, hate Philip Rivers. Is Under 500. You hate Philip Rivers. Quarterback like that? You know how difficult it is to have that many kids and still throw for 4,500 yards every year? That's not an easy task. Six I think you're under tough. 500 for the decade. And this guy's supposed <laughs> to be a uh, Well, hey, uh, you have him in the Hall of Fame, don't you? Statistically? I, I do, but after well, everyone else. Okay, that's fair. You know, the one that was a surprise to me was the Rams, too, by the way. Because I think of this Sean McVay years, and I kind of forgot a little bit about the Jeff Fisher years. <clears throat> but the most amazing thing is that record nearly averages out to 7-9 and nine yeah. over 10 years, which is <clears throat> right here. Hits you right in the heart, doesn't it? If you're a big fan of the... Of the hard knocks and a big fan of the uh, making fun of Jeff Fisher on the 7-9 day, which is coming up, by the way. We're, we're only a few days away from 7-9. That's happening this week. So I can't wait for that 
week. In, I mean, that's got to be like this day in fantasy sports, right? We got to like acknowledge seven and nine, don't we? I don't we? even know what you're talking about. Seven, nine. It's happy Jeff Fisher day. Just like happy- I've never heard of that. Before. Oh, yeah. In the, in the football community. Oh, really? absolutely. Never on Twitter, you will see a million Jeff Fisher memes on seven, okay. nine. You are going to see it everywhere. Keep an eye out for it this year. Uh, but, you know, you kind of look at the the perennial. It seems like there's a big dog every year for the most part in these divisions, except for, of course, the wide open AFC South, which is basically, you know, it's like the Colts, the Texans, and the Titans kind of, you know, all of a sudden last year come in there. And then the NFC East where you had the Giants were, you know, up and down over the decade, Cowboys and Eagles battling back and forth. But you do have some of these divisions where there seems to be dominance, like the Seahawks were dominant over the last decade. They have 100 wins. The next team is the 49ers with 80 over the last decade. Now, granted, they have made that run to the Super Bowl, but I don't know if that's a short-term thing or if that's going to be something sustainable because I look at the quarterback position, Craig, and I would take the next five years of Russell Wilson over the next five years of Jimmy Garoppolo. So, I mean, they could potentially, like, I feel like people are writing off the Seahawks, and I feel like the Seahawks are going to be right back yeah, in well, it. I mean, Russell Wilson's again. great. Yeah, there's no, there's no argument there. By the way, um, Matt Ryan is 22 games ahead of Philip Rivers, and Drew Brees is 33 games ahead of. That's <laughs> true. Defense matters. I can't hang it all on a quarterback. The Falcons defense, the the, the Saints no. defense, the Saints defense last couple of years has been outstanding. How about in, before fantasy wise? Anyway, how about the last 10 years? No, look, look. Uh, what I'm no. saying is, it takes a lot more. For that. It takes a lot more to win uh, than just the offensive side of the football, unfortunately. And Phillip Rivers, I, I feel like Phillip Rivers has done his part for the most part. You look at the average Phillip Rivers season on football reference, and it's somewhere around 4,400 yards and about 28 touchdowns. I mean, what more does this guy have to do? And he's not a turnover machine. I, I just saying, like, I know you want to, you know, beat the horse till he's dead in glue. Oh, no, but I do. I mean, there's six <laughs> games under for the decade, and this guy's going to go to the Colts and make them up? above 500. He could Did you light up when I sent this to you 500. this morning? When I sent this to you, you must have lit up. You're like, oh. No, I, I actually didn't. It's all, like, coming to me now that, like, I mean, even even after a, a decade of this guy playing in the NFL, at the very least, be 500. How about this, too? One more parting shot before we go out there. This is for you, Brett. The Lions have a better record over the last a decade record excuse me over the last decade than the new york jets just i was so excited about it, i could barely get it out but the lions have more wins over the last 10 years than the jets let that sink in jet fans i would have guessed the dolphins were below the jets the last decade that's another one that surprised me it's not a lot but yeah, i would have guessed below yeah, yeah two games two games yeah. not not a huge amount but still <laughs> you're welcome brett <laughs> all right uh coming up next uh we're going to be joined by uh, the welsh she's going to talk some prospects in baseball uh 60 game discussion as well that's coming up right here on fantasy sports today make sure you go over to our website sportsgrid.com gives you the full schedule of all of our shows throughout the day throughout the night and also our sports grid radio channel which tells you all about our great new shows there scott wetzel and of course scott farrell and all of our uh, great programming that we have here on both sides, radio and TV, sportsgrid.com. We'll be back after this. Sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Hey, yo, what's up, everybody? It's me, Joey P. Welcome back, everyone, to Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports Grid. Joining us is a friend of the show and a good friend of mine. He's also one of the contributors to the Black Book and a co-host of the Black Book Pod. He's a host of In This League Podcast Network and, of course, the host of Prospect One. He is our prospect guru, and with the 60-game season of Major League Baseball upon us, it's very important to know with some of these young players who is in, who's out, and who could make a splash potentially in your fantasy league. So welcome back to the show, our friend and yours, Christopher Welsh. Welsh, how's it going, buddy? Joey, what's up, man? Live from what looks like a children's room, but it's not. Spoiler alert, it's actually my office. It's not a child's room. Uh, it looks well, like it. I'm, I'm like a step behind you. I got the Funko Pops here, by the <laughs> way. I don't know if you noticed, for Father's Day, my daughter's got me a Prince Funko Pop. How cool is that? I mean, Oh, that's really cool. I mean, look at that. I, I'm raising them right. So it's the, I think it's the Raspberry Beret one, I believe. But anyway, we're talking <laughs> some sports here. We're talking some prospects. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a wacky and wild season obviously and 
Uh, some teams are going to be taxed in terms of how deep we're going to have to go into some of these rosters. We have these 60-man rosters and these taxi squads and these all kinds of things. Maybe we'll get an Uber squad. We'll get a Lyft squad. We'll get all kinds of squads. <laughs> but what I want to find out here, too, is let's just look at the big picture. The teams like the Orioles. We've already heard talk about Mountcastle not being really part of things. Uh, teams like Seattle, where they're not in contention if they have no reason to start the clock, then why would any of these guys really, unless just tragedy strikes where you're just absolutely losing 10 or 15 guys on a team at once, which is not out of the realm of possibility, there's no incentive for these guys to be playing up there in terms of what the organizations are looking to. So do you think like those those guys on those bad teams really will just be a pass this year completely? Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny uh, that we're talking about this. I was just looking over at uh, FanDuel's lines for the year as far as like World Series contenders, and there's like six plus 30,000 teams, and it's the obvious ones. It's like the Mariners, the mm -hmm. Orioles, the Marlins, the Giants are in there. And yeah, you know, it's it's what makes the whole situation weird as far as like what they would have done for calling up prospects over an entire season. I had spoken with, uh, take the Mariners for an instance, uh, Jared Kelnick. I spoke with him during the AFL. And he was really adamant. He had, I asked him, like, what's your goal for uh, 2020? And this was in, like, September of 2019. And this is coming off of, like, he's a very stat-oriented guy. He was right. like, hey, in 19, I wanted to be 2020. I want to do this. I want to do that. And he told me, he looked me right in the eyes, and he's like, big leagues. He's like, that is what my uh, management team, that's what my agents, that's what my family, our goal is 2020, I'm a major leaguer. And that's really been kind of taken away from him. So now you jump up to now where there's only 60 games for these guys to kind of work off of. There isn't really an incentive for any of these teams to do anything with these prospects outside of if they believe early on in 2020, they're going to be contributors. So a guy like Jared Kelnick, maybe the Mariners like to move these guys around occasionally and bring them up for competition. But the Orioles are in that exact opposite range. You can clearly see like this would be the year to start, you know, getting some real competitive work in for Adley Rutschman or Ryan Mountcastle. And they just don't seem to want to start any clock whatsoever or really push any, you know, have any progressive movement inside their scouting department. So, yeah, I don't see why they're going to push any of these prospects and these teams that are down and out. I don't know why any of these prospects would be in the peripheral for fantasy owners. Yeah, I think I know the answer to this. But I'm going to ask it anyway, because <laughs> you're a smart guy when it comes to prospects. Is there any long-term detriment to some of these guys who um, might not be getting a regular season of development? I mean, because I think that's one thing that I'm, I know a lot of people haven't really talked about. Like, if you are not playing at the big league level, there's no minor league baseball this year. Nobody knows yeah. quite exactly how things are going to work out on these inner squad games, these camps, whatever else is happening. So what happens to these guys that are in limbo, good prospects in bad situations with teams that don't want to start their clock? How does that hurt them potentially long-term value-wise in, say, dynasty leagues? Yeah, I mean, this has definitely been a question that has come up for me a lot. And it's interesting because I don't, I don't, I'm not a scout. I don't claim to be a scout. I do have a scouting mind for at least how I approach evaluating players. And I see them in person a lot. And I'm around scouts and talk to them and whatnot. And, you know... I think people don't understand how competitive these like inner squad games can be and how useful they are. They do this out here in spring training out in Arizona where I'm at, where when we just lost minor league spring training in March, baseball canceled like two days into minor league spring training. And what these guys do is they do these inner squad games and they'll sometimes play other double or triple A teams that are local, but they're working through all drills. They get competitive. I see these teams go at it. So from like a, you know, are they going to, is there going to be heavy competition? I'm not really worried about that. Um, a lot of teams are bringing in some of the younger top prospects who have literally no chance whatsoever. Right. Robert Poisson with the A's has no chance to be in the major leagues this year. He hasn't even played stateside. He just played instructs. He's there to play competitively against other top prospects, which I actually think is really good because the lower level prospects, they don't get crazy hands-on attention and the rookie level and instructs. And sometimes you would think they would, they really don't. So I actually think it's a really big plus for the like top named low prospects who have no chance of coming up this year. But there is a level of guys like a Christian Robinson with the diamondbacks. I've talked about a lot where he's just in this transitional period of, he was a low a guy coming to high a, you know, he'd kind of transformed his body. I'm worried about some of those guys that were ready to take this next big major step up. But the guys that have gone double A and above, and then the guys that are lower A, I just don't think, you know, any of the training process has changed for them that much. And I really do think 
there's a chance for some of the lower A guys to move their stock for 2021 by playing against higher competition type sure, players. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I really do. I think guys like, you know, the the Julio Rodriguez, you know, this could be a big mm -hmm. step for Julio to come up very early in 2021. Well, that's positive, actually. I was a little worried about what the answer might be, but I think there might be a silver lining to this cloud, potentially, too, as you're kind of getting at yeah. with some of the competition aspects, which is great. I mean, you saw some guys like Urias, who was always playing up to competition, and he made the big leagues quicker. I mean, pitching's a little different, obviously, but I think that's always encouraging when guys who are at a younger age can hold their own with guys who are two or three years older than them. That usually speaks to the talent. I, it usually means they're going to be a pretty good major leaguer. I'd also throw out to you, too, be on the lookout for whatever baseball announces the fall league. So what type of fall league they ah, do. Because I think okay. that's going to be really telling. Ah, that's to that's a great I didn't even think about fall league yet, where we might be at with that. Yeah, well, and there's talk of having two two fall leagues, like one in Florida, one in Arizona, and every single team having their own team. So that would be a chance for teams to get their prospects in a competitive state when they're missing out or, you know, presumably these guys not playing independent ball. And I think it's going to tell you a lot about like where these guys are from a mature level and how teams are going to press them once we get to fall ball, if we get to fall ball. Fascinating stuff. All right. So let's talk about some of the guys that we do think are going to make impacts on rosters. And let's talk about where the 60 game season might potentially help some guys. So let's start with one of the names here. And that's Joe Adele. Obviously there are some questions with Mike Trout and obviously he's expecting he and his wife and who knows if he misses time or pulls out of the season. We don't know yet. Joe Adele was a guy that I thought they had basically made room for too. Uh, once they had kind of moved on from Cole Calhoun, I kind of felt like, all right, let's just let this guy play. I think, you know, you, you don't spend all that money on a guy like Anthony Rendon and you don't have all that money on Otani and you know, all this money in the pool. It's like, just go in here and try to win. Do you think Joe Adele is going to be a guy who's going to start from day one here for the Angels this year now that 60 games is where we're at? If you had asked me this like a week ago, I probably would have been like day one. Nah, maybe like. 10 days in or something like that, he's really going. But I think things have changed enough over the last week that, yeah, I do. And Joe Adele is actually one of the real true risers to me in fantasy because I've been high on the obvious names. You know, there's obvious names. And I'm not right. going to try not to talk about them, but you know, Dylan Carlson, duh, no crap. <laughs> Mackenzie Gore, duh. You know, these are guys that are huge names that right. everyone's already investing in. And Joe Adele's a guy that was kind of fringy there, but there was enough for people to be like, I don't know. I just don't know how aggressive they're going to push them. And I don't think Brian Goodwin is enough of a player to keep him out. David I Fletcher is very versatile. So there's that. But in two, in two blows for this past week, you had the Angels organization come out and say that they believe and they are trusting in Joe Adele being able to contribute this summer. And then you get the news with what's going on with Mike Trout, whether mm -hmm. it's Mike Trout just missing some early time or whether him opting out for the season, it is literally pointing to Joe Adele. And Joe Adele's an incredible talent. He moved five levels last year. He was hurt in spring training. He had to work him his way back up three levels during the minor leagues. He went to the AFL. That's where I talked with him. Then he played for Team USA, hit 289 with 10 homers in the minor league season, hit a couple more homers with, I think, a 280-ish average in the AFL. This guy's ready, big power bat, middle of the lineup. I'm drafting him, and I'm moving him up because this is a dude that's going like past 250 now, and I think he needs to move up near the 200s. All right, Lo, we have got some other guys on this list here. You got Nate Pearson, obviously, yeah. uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays. You got Alec Baum and Joey Bart. Now, does Baum have an opportunity here to maybe even start sooner than we realize with the Kingery test? Because, I, yeah. mean, <laughs> I mean, it feels like that was like, I don't want to always be lazy fantasy because sometimes people do that. They see like, oh, well, that's just easy. Well, we're going to take this guy and start his clock. I don't know if that's the case, but I guess under the circumstances up against it, is that the case for the Phillies? Yeah, I mean, and Baum's another one of those dudes. He moved three levels during the minor leagues, playing the AFL. He played first and third. They really like him. Mm -hmm. I got some questions on him. I spoke with him. Not a crazy analytical guy. Really backs back on his talent, which is there. He's a huge power guy. Just absolutely crushes the ball. And Kingery was fighting for that shortstop and third spot. So they could, you know, if Kingery was out for some time and they wanted to give Baum the, the potential um, running room here, Segura can go back to his natural position, a shortstop. And Baum has some flexibility. Huge power guy worth the fantasy option for sure all right now here's four guys that welsh thinks are actually going to be hurt by this 60 game season and i agree with three or four of them without a doubt but one Ooh, who do you not we're agree gonna with? fight we're gonna fight about one of them all right so it's carter keyboom we got matt manning on this list obviously alex kirilov which i think all those make sense uh although ryan zimmerman pulling out of the season i think does help keyboom slightly potentially. i thought you would argue with me on keyboom and no and i'm gonna I have argue with you about wander franco i want to okay. argue about wander franco because i feel like 
this season is set up for the Rays because the Yankees and Red Sox are probably less likely or probably not likely at all for Boston to add a huge contract, big talent guy to give them that push. Like all of a sudden, I feel like the Rays are in a level playing field. And all of a sudden, the Rays are the team that could add somebody who's an impact player at some point in this season. I feel like Wander Franco is that guy. So why do you think the inverse? I'm really curious to pick your brain about this one. Well, I mean, the inverse of this where I thought there was a chance Wander Franco could come up this year under a full season, and that's just, you know, normal wear and tear, mm-hmm. players kind of breaking down, want to give a late opportunity. This season's completely different. It's a whole new it's a whole new world for Aladdin here, Joe. It's 60 <laughs> games. Anyone can go at this, and the Rays are built around a stream of players. They are the running back by committee of teams and they have got a slew of players still some recovering from injury. We're not even talking about Vidal Brujan, who's a player that can play somewhere in the middle infield and could be the potential shortstop second base. I just don't see why they would press him under 60 games when they've got so much and the Rays are always dealing with kind of contractual issues of trying to own their players. It, if they were really, really in competition and they had some injuries, okay, sure, I'm with it. I just think they've got too many guys to rotate through that I actually think now Wander Franco is just hurt. It's just going to be about competition. And if he does come up, he's going to be fool's gold because people are going to spend crazy on him. I just don't think he's going to have enough runway to give fantasy value this year. And I love him. I love him. Yeah, I I think it's great. Those are two really interesting different ends of the spectrum here. And you can decide for yourself in your fantasy leagues. It's always a wonderful magic carpet ride with you, Welsh. Again, follow him (laughs) on Twitter at Is It The Welsh. Check him out on Black Book right here on SportsGrid in this league and of course at prospect one you should be listening to that show i'm telling you if you play dynasty leagues all right we're going to step away and hit a break we come back more fantasy sports today right here on sports grid sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com And welcome back. It's time to dive into the FanDuel Sportsbook. Head on over there right now. Sign up for an account if you are in a state where it is legal. And if not, you can head on over there and also see some of the things that we are talking about. All kinds of props for season win totals, players, futures, everything with the upcoming 2020 Major League Baseball season. And so Joe and I are going to dive into some season win totals on today's show. I would say that two teams probably trying to go in the same direction, but one of them a little bit better than the other. I think that's probably fair to say, too. Um, I, I would say that the the Houston Astros in particular, Joe, with everything that happened with them in February and March, uh, look, they, they sort of got out of this pretty good <laughs> with everything that happened here because there is not a lot of discussion uh, about the Astros, and this isn't just like Tiger King going away. I mean, this is a, a story that's... <laughs> This is a story that is going to hover over them at some point, and it'll come back for sure on opening day, and there'll still be some discussion about it. But in general, the Astros, certainly no one is rooting for a pandemic, but if there was any team that needed a diversion from everything that was happening, it was definitely them. Absolutely. And, you know, I can certainly blame all the cheating scandal on Carol Baskin. I don't know about you, but that's that's my plan. You know, it's always Carol Baskin. Uh, I swear she has one of those things right in here and letting her know when the Tigers are out of the cage and when they're in the cage, all that kind of stuff. It's definitely happening there. Uh, I'm going to say this about the Houston Astros, too. Let's hold our breath, too, a little bit because Texas is one of those hotspot areas, right? So I'm not exactly sure how everything's going to trickle out there eventually. I think you have to look at the South. You know, the Georgia region, the Florida region, Texas, obviously, has certain spots in California, too. Um, So we have to keep that in mind when we're making these assessments. And Craig will be the first to tell you he doesn't want to touch anything. But I think it's good to at least have these conversations, if nothing else, just to kind of talk out these teams. Now, if in a perfect world, everyone's healthy here. It's hard to imagine this team not having a pretty good record there of 35 wins or possibly even more. And this is a team that I think really has something to play for. And even in a shortened season, I don't think they care. Like, I think this is a team that, pardon the expression, is out for blood this year. They want to go out there and they have something to prove to everybody that they are not a fluke that they're not a, a product of stealing signs, that they are a product of incredible baseball talent. 
and being a little bit too aggressive on the trying to get an edge scenario. And they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And Dusty Baker's out there now with 60 games. So he could go burn every pitcher he wants to for the first time in his life. And no one's going to tell him no, because it's only 60 games. How are you going to tell Dusty Baker? No, he's going to go out there and just burn everybody to death there. And it's going to be fine. And I'm looking at the Astros as a team that of all the teams out there in baseball right now, they have something to prove more than anybody. And I think they're going to prove it. I think they're going to not only be a playoff team, but I think there's a good chance that they are the world series favorite again, because despite losing Garrett Cole, I do think Lance McCullers, Verlander, Granke is enough in that rotation with some of these other live young arms they have, potentially like the Eucrides of the world and guys like Josh James of the world who could go in there and go on a little run. And all of a sudden this Astros team is not the worst for wear. And all of a sudden this Astros team, you look at this lineup, it is completely stacked, Craig, once again. They have MVP caliber talents all over the place in Springer, in Bregman, in Altuve. This is a team that, and again, there's there's guys that we're not even mentioning right now. I mean, Michael Brantley was an incredible player for them last year. This whole team, top to bottom, is about as deep as it gets. So the next couple of years, we all know there's some looming destruction of this team potentially on the horizon. But before that happens... They have to cash in, and they have to cash in real good here, and this is an opportunity for a short tournament for them to cash in again. Now, the question is, again, hypothetically speaking, if they're healthy, do you think this is a team that is, once again, the favorite to get back to the World Series? I, I think it's between the Astros and the Yankees, and I think that you know, certainly taking one player and arguably maybe the best player from one team and putting sure. it on the rival, it would, it would seem to me that they're very close. Uh, Astros may be a little bit deeper than the Yankees uh, as of right now in terms of COVID. Um, the Yankees have lost one player. The Astros have lost one player. And I would say that maybe the Astros lost a bigger player, at least for the time being in Alvarez and uh, LeMahieu for the Yankees. And so, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunately something that we have to look at with this, but uh, the total by the way is 35 and a half. We haven't hit that minus one Oh four and the under, uh, for 35 and a half, it's minus 118. So a slight lean toward the under. What does this mean? If the Astros are 10 games uh, over 500, then um, and and you bet the over, you would lose. They need to be more than that. They need to be 11 or better. And so that would be a scenario that I would say is likely. I don't I don't look at their division and I don't look at the teams that they're going to play as being a deterrent. I do think they'll play with a chip on their shoulder. Uh, I would not bet them to win any sort of postseason or World Series, but I would agree with you that during the regular season, I, I think they probably will come out a little bit harder than some of the other teams. And so I would lean toward the over as well. Yeah, I feel like the one place that the Yankees have them is the bullpen. The Yankee bullpen bullpen is just spectacular. Uh, let's let's not mince words beat. about that. Yeah. It's very hard to beat. The, the trick is, can you beat Garrett Cole head to head in that one start or two starts in a short series? And if you can, <laughs> I think all of a sudden they become very beatable because if. you have to have yeah. if again, it's an if. But I, I think there's something about those Astros that I, I just feel like it's not going away. And it would be so 2020 to have another Astros World Series win just to kind of top off the season of what a crazy, wacky 2020 where people could just throw their hands up and just be mad at everything and hate life and all these other things. Yeah, but I, I, I think Houston will have a really good regular season and crumble in the playoffs. That would be my prediction. It's, it's very possible. That you would know, be no, very you know, they don't They don't have Cole. They don't have Morton now for a couple of years. They still got Verlander I, I just, and Grant. I don't though. see it. I, I don't Gosh. see the success. I, I see a, a failure in the postseason for them, but I could absolutely see them winning 40 games. One question for you. How, you know, if do you think the path to 40 games is Trout not playing? Because it is such a heavy yeah, individual I, I schedule. Think, I, I don't know that that would affect it one way or the other. Okay. Because I'm like, that's the team to me. Like the Rangers, maybe the A's definitely. But like if the Angels were very competitive as well as the Rangers and the A's. I think this path to 10 games over 500 is dicey. Yeah, I mean, tr listen, Trout in terms of war is, you know, an eight war player or seven war. Now he's right. down to three playing in this. And, and if only two of the games are against Houston, that's a two game swing. I mean, I, I, I don't know that it I don't know that he I think he makes a big difference for his team. But I don't I don't know that he makes a big difference for Houston. It, it would depend on on again, okay. if he missed time within the schedule of playing Houston, that would be a different story. Right. That's a good point, too. Excellent point there. All right. Uh, Kansas City, uh, their total for the season is 24 and a half. I think that they are headed in the right direction for sure. They've added Bobby Witt and 
and Brady Singer a couple of years ago, and I think they're headed in the right spot. They sort of have Mike Matheny along, I, I think, to keep a seat warm eventually for somebody else. Their total is 24.5, minus 104 on the over, minus 118 on the under, so a little bit of a slight lean toward uh, Kansas City being pretty bad here in, in the 60-game uh, season. Uh, it's a team in development, but they've been doing this now for three years. I feel like 2021 is going to look much better, and it wouldn't surprise me, Joe, since they have a pretty solid fan base, if they did go out and spend a little bit of money next year, too. I could see that. I, I just don't know that this season is particularly for them. It's more of a development year, and that's what it really needed to be. They have a couple of really bona fide superstars based on last year. So Lair and Merrifield and Mondesi could take that next step, too. Mm-hmm. But they are extremely weak in the pitching department. Will we yeah. need pitching in 2020? Will we not need it? I don't know. But if you need starting pitching in 2020, the Royals are not your team. That that I know for sure. Well, look, if you're going to be weak in the starting department, you better be great in the bullpen department. And I don't know if that's the case either. I know they did sign Trevor Rosenthal. I know uh, Holland is there. Uh, of course, Glenn Sparkman is there. But look, you look at this rotation and it's guys like Danny Duffy, which have teased before. Uh, you look at the strikeout rate of a guy like Junis and you say, OK, maybe there's some potential there. Montgomery is a guy that you know, is going to get a full out chance at the rotation this year for the first time in a while. And once upon a time, he was another guy that people thought was a can't miss kind of rotation guy. So it's it's a lot of reclamation projects. It's a lot of, well, we'll kind of throw everything to the wall and see what sticks. Now, hopefully that's going to change. I think them drafting college pitchers is the first start in them turning things around and how they do things as an organization. That's not always been the case for the Royals, but I think this trend you saw in this year's draft is a very positive one that these guys are going to start to make uh, a, a bigger impact quicker. And again, less variation in terms of injury as you're getting the high school pitcher to develop as opposed to the college pitcher. Uh, but when I look at this team again, I, I'm with you. I look at the lineup and the first five spots of the lineup. I really like. Um, you don't know what you're going to get on Michael Franco. Maybe he's another reclamation project like Jorge Soler. A lot of people weren't thinking about getting anything out of and They got a whole lot. Yeah. Maybe they get Michael Franco right. I know it sounds crazy. No, that's, but that will never happen. That'll... I don't think so either. But like, I don't want to ever say never at this point. Uh, it is going to come down to the rotation, though. And I think that keeps them under 500 for sure. But at some point, the Royals are going to have to develop their own pitching and make that work. And I think they're on the right track. I like what they did in this year's draft, like I said. But they're tough. It's a tough scenario because they're not a team that's going to be in it for free agents. So what is the special sauce in your mind for this team? Like, how do you turn it around? Is it just as easy as you have to develop pitching? Or are they going to finally spend some money? I think they will. Okay. On the free agent market? Yeah, I I think they will. I think they take their lumps again this year. Look, there's a chance they could win 26 games. What are we talking about here? No, of course there's a chance. That's not a a lot of games to win. No, it is not. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they, they could do in 60 games. They certainly could do that, which is why this is a pass, because, you know, the last week of the season, they win a few first week of the season. They win a few. It puts them right there. Um, you know, I, I don't like to deal with the top and the bottom all that often. And, and in this case, that's that's definitely there. But the Royal, I think the, the Royals fans will be uh, rewarded next year, the year after. Uh, look, you know, get, they did give Alex Gordon a contract. They, they'll give other players contracts, too, when they're ready to win. And I think that 2021 will be somewhat of a landmark for them with that. They have, at least on the surface, drafted well. We'll have to see them develop some of those players, too. But there's no doubt, Joe, they're going to have to sign a couple of um, you know, outfielders, two years, $15 million, you know, this, Along those lines, they're going to have to fill in some, uh, some blanks. And, and Merrifield's on a very friendly contract, so hopefully they don't trade him. But my opinion on that would be a pass. Well, that's the guy because the friendly contract, like Whit Merrifield to a lot of teams, controllable under that contract for another two years, I believe. Uh, that's that's a piece that could really That would help be a bad teams. sign if the Royals traded him. Though. It would, but if they could get incredible, like major league ready prospect talent back, it's something to consider because Merrifield is a guy that could play second base, could play the outfield, he can hit at the top of the order if you want. I mean, th- that's a guy that brings a lot to a team and you can control him. So we'll see what happens with that this year. All right. Well, coming up next, we dive back into some more uh, football talk. And the uh, NFL is putting together their game plan for the 2020 season. And uh, it better be good because it's coming up very fast here. So we'll talk about some of those things next. You're watching Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports Grid. He's Joe Pizapia. I'm Craig Mish. And we'll be back with more Fantasy Sports Today as we wrap up this Monday edition of the show in just two minutes. Don't go away.
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed the interview with Joe and Scott Fish and Scott Fish and Scott Fish Bowl, a very worthwhile uh, fantasy league that those of you all day Monday on social media will be seeing all kinds of players being drafted uh, in the in his draft and certainly does some great things in the community for fantasy, for reality as well. Uh, you know, hopefully in, in a couple of weeks, there'll be more of a focus on uh, fantasy football, but certainly... Uh, football, to me, is just as much up in the air as anything else at this point. If if baseball and the NBA has showed you anything, we're going to see players test positive and miss time in fantasy football in 2020 uh, if they do play a season. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Could be some big names, too. But let's take a look at right now what the NFL's plans are uh, for training camp. And uh, the one thing that we learned over the weekend is it looks like the uh, preseason is uh, done. And so you see that here as the uh, fourth thing on the list, but really it's you know, really a landmark thing because we've mm-hmm. never not seen an entire NFL preseason, even when they had a, a lockout for a while, holdout for a while, they still played two games. But first and foremost, they're reducing their roster to 80 players, uh, different timelines for players testing positive with and without symptoms, media restrictions. I don't know what that, what that does. I don't think that does anything. But yes, the preseason in particular is is a big is a big deal because it eliminates travel and and I think that that will get uh, things probably going to start the season, Joe. But like the other leagues, this is going to be an uphill battle for sure. If, as I said, if if this is any indication, just like baseball and and basketball and the NHL and the MLS and tennis and NASCAR and and every other sport. I think that at this stage, we have to be prepared if we if we are going to be optimistic and be prepared for a football season, which I'll remain optimistic on, because, again, it's it's still a little bit more away. I think we do have to come to grips with, um, you know, maybe some fantasy alterations for 2020 with expanded rosters and things of that nature, because there's no question in my mind that we're going to be missing players this year and big players too. Well, at some point that's, that's certainly bound to happen. Uh, I think with the NFL, I think they are like, we all said, it's all about testing. You know, if you're testing, then you can quarantine. And if you can quarantine, you can flatten the curve, just like in a state or a city, you could do it with your team. So as long as they're testing ahead of time and making sure as people are coming into these facilities, it's a very smart thing to be able to do that. And then that's how you kind of can control the environment, at least in the initial standpoint. I think that's all you can do is try your best initially to have this. Now, as players are coming into camp, you're going to get positive tests just like Major League Baseball, and you're going to see guys pull out of it. I think the preseason going away is something that I'm sure a lot of players are are happy about, and some fantasy players are happy about too, because God knows every year we lose one or two big guys tearing an ACL or getting hurt there for the entire season, the preseason game, which meant absolutely nothing. So that's always a big frustration. So that's out. Um, So I think that's where it all begins. That's where it starts with the testing and making sure that you can at least get the season off onto the right foot. Now, after that, all bets are off, obviously. But I think the first initial thing is if I can get all the people in my house straight and you can get all the people at your house straight by the time we meet up, we stand a better chance to actually play games again once a week, which is very different than every day of Major League Baseball or every day of the NBA playoffs or even to a certain extent, four or five days in a row of golf. I know everyone says, well, that's, that's the biggest sport. Yeah, I said, but they're around each other every day for a few days as opposed to one game, everybody gets together and then there's X number of days outside of that. And yes, it's going to be something that everyone's going to have to manage. And I think the biggest pivot is understanding that it might be more wise this year than any other year to really strongly consider the running back handcuff. I believe that's not always the best path, but I think in this particular year, it might be something to focus more on with your last pick before your defense, your kicker, wherever you go, is to really kind of say, all right, is it better to have this guy in-house or better yet, the backup of a guy who I think has a lot of potential in an offense, you know, the drop-off from Ezekiel Elliott to Pollard is substantial, but is the drop-off from Connor to a Benny Snell as much? Maybe not. And I think those are the things you have to start to work out in your mind of who are those secondary running backs that if somebody were to miss two weeks could start on your team as a flex. That's something to think about. The media pool thing 
they want to limit to four people in the media. And Craig, as a media person yourself, I'm kind of curious. Do you think this is necessary or something that they're just makes no sense whatsoever do you think it's the other thing where they're trying to control a little bit of the narrative i I do i I don't think this makes any sense at all no i wanted your take on that because i thought this was more it makes no sense you know as part of it too they said situation right yeah as part of it too guess what you can't tweet from oh what does that have to do with anything this year i saw that restriction what would now so that basically means we're getting no information from all of training camp from anyone it's completely controlled that's fine i mean honestly i think that the uh, the tweeting and the this guy looked great. He made a one handed catch in practice. All just inflates things for no reason. 100%. So for fantasy purposes, I, I don't think it's affected one way or the other because you're going to go with who you feel is good this time, and you're not going to be influenced by nonsense like Miles Sanders last year. A good example of that. There was no doubt for the Philadelphia writers who the guy was going to be uh, at running back, and like as we saw over the weekend, the guy at running back for the Chiefs is Damian Williams. You saw that this weekend too. It's like what you choose to believe based on media. You have to have your own uh, opinion on that, which is why going back to college football and understanding those rookies is a really important part of it. Uh, on the media thing, no sense whatsoever. None. The the media basically, if essentially, like baseball, and I'm not saying baseball is doing the right thing or wrong. Personally. I don't think that baseball should be having all of their practices open at all now. We're not getting anything out of this thing. I, I went, and I haven't been back since. I went on uh, Friday. Mm-hmm. I'm going to still cover the Marlins. I'm going to go, but I'm going to go when there's something to see. I mean, this is like going right. back to spring training again, and I'm driving down to Miami and walking in between people who were getting tested for COVID. Why, why would I do that? You know, show, Give me a preseason game. Give me an exhibition game. I'm there. From an NFL perspective, if the media are not interacting, just like the NFL, just like the NBA, just – why do you have to limit them? They're, they're not speaking to the players. They're not holding a microphone. They're not going to be there for a press conference. Everybody should be able to cover that. They're not affected at all. So I, for, for me, it makes no sense, but the NFL is controlling like that. For mm-hmm. fantasy, I don't think it makes any difference. For reality, I don't get it. But, you know, for our show's you know purposes, I think it actually helps because you're able to establish what your opinion is and not be influenced by anybody else. So I yeah, think the tweeting thing I thought was even weirder. I thought that was so bizarre myself. I said, why Why is that? Is they worried about someone leaking a bit of wrong information about an illness and that coming back Maybe to them? so, but we're player. doing that now in baseball now. And, and Well, and, but is that why that. they don't like that? And they're, I'll, players I'll are tell you, I'll about tell you my strategy. And, and look, yeah. I, I, I am not nearly as optimistic about any sports being played as I was maybe a month ago just because of the things that I've heard and seen. I still remain more optimistic about football than anything else, only because of the timeline, that it's a couple of months away. I will say that my strategy in fantasy football this year will be drafting players that are not reliant on the quarterback. That is one tackle that I am going to go after. I'm going to try and find players at wide receiver, at running back. And I know it's easier said than done to say, well, that's ridiculous. Like, I mean, you know, if Drew Brees goes down, you know, and you draft Michael Thomas— what are you going to do? Because Bridgewater's well, not there. It's like, yeah, those are the sort of there. questions that yeah, I'm going to be asking a, myself. This yeah, year. but like, there's a guy like Winston. Like, he just had 2,000 yard wide receivers of the Bucks. Jameis Winston. Now, I throw his budge of uh, picks. Right, but <laughs> I, will, I wanted to, I'm going to be looking at who the backup quarterbacks are on every NFL sure, team. Because sure. I think that that is going to happen. I think if, if you don't think that at least one good mm-hmm. quarterback in the NFL is testing positive and missing time this season, then you're being then you're not being real because that I is- would agree. I would agree. But you're, there's a perfect scenario where Michael Thomas to me, I'm, I'm good. Like there's a first round guy I feel really good about. Cause if Winston had to be the guy, okay. Like that's, that's why up. I'm bringing that up. Yeah. Well, there's some other guys too. Like, uh, like Cortland Sutton, for instance, last year who played somehow decent <laughs> with Joe Flacco and then somehow pretty well, it was incredibly economical and efficient with Drew Locke. So the the targets he had, he made the most of. Efficiency was his friend. He caught some touchdowns. Like, that's the kind of guy where you say, okay, he's quarterback proof, like you're saying. Those kind of guys I think you need to consider. And you're right. I think the drop-off from certain teams at quarterback is more stark than some others. And, and I think it has to I, be looked at. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Like, that, that, the who are the backup running backs that you think can actually be contributing it running backs? It has back? to be looked at as well. Yeah, I think your your structure of how you draft the teams and the people that are more prepared for that, I think will do better in these fantasy leagues because it is going to be a very different war of attrition. It's almost something like, I want to say the baseball fantasy mind, you need to start kind of 
putting that mindset to the football <laughs> a little bit in terms of the depth of how many people you have to know and understanding the inner workings of certain systems and and how they might be, you know, like you said, you know, a COVID proof or to a certain extent. That's going to be fascinating. And I don't know how the purple book covers that. I know the black no, book, we, we got we, that we unlocked. Just, we, we just scrapped the purple book after the- after Oh, the, you're, not, uh, you're not putting the book out. Well, we're look, done. We decided- Don't worry, everybody. On Amazon, you can still get the fantasy black book 2020. Don't buy the black book. Purple book will be back. Because we're go, we're covering all those things. And I, we're I covering think that, I think what this weekend, this weekend should have woken everybody up to that fact that we're discussing yeah. here, fantasy football. I mean, look- I still have a feeling Trout will not play. I have a feeling on that it one. It seems but, like he is not going to. But but again, I'm not going to use that as an example. I will simply use Freddie Freeman and Aaron Nola as two players in the first four or five rounds of a fantasy baseball draft that could be rendered more or less irrelevant from a fantasy perspective. If you do not, and, and we're just getting started here. We're only two days in. Right. If you don't well, think that's going to happen, because of the games in the season too. Like, let's put that caveat. Right, but but you right. eliminate one player from your fantasy football team for one month in the middle of the season, and this is an injury, Same. and you know it's happening in advance. Mm-hmm. Like it's... you 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 should be able to identify that before your draft. Listen, if you want to do a draft now out of stupidity, go for it. But you <laughs> know, you you have to know that there is inherent risk with taking anybody that tests positive. It's so crass to say it like that. No, it's true. But, but, well, but that's that's in I'm gonna play fantasy football. But yeah. when I do, I am going to have my bleep covered. <laughs> baseball, I don't know I can't say play that I will. fantasy football, but when I do, <laughs> I do baseball, I can't say that I will. But, well, here's but, the thing: some of us don't have the luxury of always late drafting because when you're in some of these quote experts, oh, I, I, I understand. You that. have to do them early because you're you're some of the people that help set the standard of ADP. And I want to just put I, this, this out there to everybody: people should understand that there is no standard. In there, there, well, there's no standard, but I'll tell you what: there's certainly a responsibility for us to show the path of what you should be doing in drafts, and that means instead of taking a dart throw late on some guy that you know could potentially maybe be you know a, a guy that pops we should be more concerned with well who's the backup running back here and look look at the look at the timeshare that i've got here and look at you know making sure that i hedge my bets in these style wide receivers like you said with quarterbacks who are better on the backup so those are the kind of things to look at and the experts who are drafting that way in some of those leagues those are the drafts to pay attention to that can help you in yours yeah i mean i think winston should be drafted in every fantasy league this year so, <laughs> I, well, I would take him with the last too. pick in every league. You never know. I mean, you have the bench. I mean, he could be a star for you this year, and and by just dumb luck, it's not even. You know, it's just it's a strange it's the best kind of luck, really. Dumb luck is the best kind. All right. Uh, thanks to Scott Fish for coming on the show, and thanks to the Welsh for my co-host Joe Pizapia. I'm Craig Mish. Also, also thank you to Brett, Danny, and Ryan for putting their show together. Also, congratulations are in order for our producer uh, Brett, who got engaged over the weekend and will be married. Sometime uh, next year, I believe, in 2021. Congratulations to him and his wife-to-be. That'll do it for our show today, and we will talk to you again tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. Have a great day, everybody. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.